Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham, a podcast at the intersection of sports, sports media, Hollywood, and hopefully life itself. I'm the executive producer and host, Ed. In this episode, we huddle with legendary sports writer E.M. Swift of Sports Illustrated. E.M., or Ed as he is known to friends and family, spent over 30 years at SI and became a certified brand name in the sports reporting world, A, because of great writing and reporting, and B, because during his tenure at SI, they were the voice for sports news in America. Focus of our conversation is hockey, because Ed knows hockey. He played it in college. As a matter of fact, his first article for Sports Illustrated covered a year that he played goalie on a team that went 1-22. We recorded this interview before the NHL decided to not send players to China for the Winter Olympics, so I held on to releasing it, because it now has a more modern-day context. EM was, for many of us, the voice and key reporter of the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team, which blew everyone's minds by winning gold at the height of the Cold War after a very difficult 1970s and in the semifinals against an unbeatable Russian team. He was that voice. So, as you listen now to the stories of that team from the 80s, I think about U.S. hockey today. Who's covering their stories? What are their chances? Miracles happen in sports. We all know that. So, with a doff of a cap to Al Michaels, this is Do You Believe in Miracles?, with E.M. Swift. The name was McLennan Farrell. And anyway, so Mac was my co-editor. I showed him this piece that I wrote. And um, he said, well, what do you want to do with this? And I said, well, what do you think I should do with it? If he says, we, I think we should put it in next month's hockey magazine. That's what I do. But he says, I think you ought to show this around. And I said, well, okay. He said, I have a friend who's, you know, a, a long time ago, who is an editor at Sports Illustrated. Let me take it in and show it to him. Hmm. And he did. And the guy bought it. And uh, that was it. And that appeared in the 1978 swimsuit issue, which was the issue hmm. that had um, uh, Christy, Brink, uh, Christy Brinkley in a fishnet uh, see-through swimsuit that was the first nipples ever shown in, in Sports Illustrated. Yeah, Nobody I remember ever that. threw that issue out. Nobody threw that out. Well, if you've got that, my story yeah, was that like- was a, That was a big deal. I, I think that's, you know, the swimsuit issue breaks through culturally and of course not always for good reason. I mean, you know, right. uh, I talk about objectification, you know, and, right. and I think that moment um, really brought the conversation of that that particular sort of icon for teen boys, like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Uh, things are getting serious here. Let's talk about no, this. Absolutely true. And, and see, back then, um, the swimsuit issue was not a standalone issue. It was, it was inside a normal issue mm. of Sports Illustrated. And so mine was the, like the next story. And it was on the, that Princeton and hockey team. And it was called Practice Makes Imperfect. I mean, I mean moral objections aside, uh, it's a pretty good placement for a first article oh. in Sports Illustrated. Yeah, I mean, it was, absolutely. Everybody read it. And eventually, because they never threw out the magazine. And, and uh, I remember talking, because I, I, I was hired as a hockey writer, and, and I would interview guys like 10 years later, and they remembered that story. Because yeah, especially if you were working, because you worked, and we'll get to hockey here in a second, on your beat yeah. uh, at uh, sports illustrated, but, um, yeah, any hockey player 
would have read that article. Well, uh, what's the name of it? What's the title of the article? Uh, I think it's called Practice Makes Imperfect. <laughs> and um, Is and it, it still was, out uh, there? Can we find it somewhere? Oh, yeah, I, I, I thought a deep dive on you. I couldn't find you it. Can, you can find it online. Just go to Google EM Swift, you know, Practice Makes Imperfect. I think it comes right up. Okay. Um, and, um, but so, so anyway, I sold that to them. And so they knew I existed. And then um, uh, the other thing I did was uh, George Plimpton was doing a story for Sports Illustrated that year on um, playing goal for the Boston Bruins during mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, training camp. And so I thought as editor of, of, of of hockey magazine, I might assign myself that story. And I talked to Matt Farrell and uh, my co-editor, and I said, look, this makes no sense for us to do this story um, because we're monthly, right? We couldn't get it in until our December issue. And um, this, uh, this exhibition game is gonna be in October. And he said, yeah, go ahead and do the story. We'll get that in the December issue. We'll beat Plimpton Mountain. He says, I used to edit Plimpton for the Saturday Evening Post, and he's great, but he's slow. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I did, and I, made, I wrote that story. It came out well and um, uh, interviewed Plimpton as part of it. And I made sure that Mark Mulvoy, who was Sports Illustrated's hockey editor, he was on our comp list. And so I made sure he got a Got it. Got it. Um, yeah. And I knew he would read it because he'd assigned Plimpton his thing and he liked it. So they now had two pieces that I'd done. Uh, they, you know, they had the hockey, Princeton hockey, and then they had the Plimpton piece. And um, he was not happy with the, the hockey writer at Sports Illustrated. And so I get a call, you know, sometime in December. And he says, do you ever, you know, he says, hi, this is Mark Mulvoy. Well, I've been reading him for 10 years. So mm-hmm. I, knew, I knew exactly who he was. And he says, um, do you ever do any freelance stuff? And I said, well, I can probably assign, I can probably figure out a time where I can do some freelance stuff. And he said, okay, we've got, we'd like to do a story on a young kid who's, you know, in Canada, he's famous in Canada, but nobody mm-hmm. in the United States ever heard of him. He's only 16 years old, mm-hmm. um, Wayne Gretzky. Mm-hmm. So that was my first, assigned piece for Sports Illustrated. And I went on, spent a week with 16 year old Wayne Gretzky up in Sault Ste. Marie, Ontario, which he never forgot. And again, that, and that piece came out well, they, they ran it and then they, they hired me as their hockey writer. Couple of thoughts, man. Did you know when you saw him skating that, that this was an amazing assignment you just got. Cause that comes up on the SI vault. I think that's one of their 60th anniversary pieces that you wrote. Did you know it as a hockey player or goalie when you showed up? Like, Oh, yeah. Okay, worth- um, so yes, is the short answer because in that original piece, I said that he was as skilled. Now this is a 16 year old kid, right? I said, he's as skilled as any center in the national hockey league offensively right now you know, mm. including Bobby Clark, who I think was the big all-star then. He's, th- that's how good he is. Off- I said, defensively, he's got problems, but offensively, because he's doing things, you know, I've, I've been playing the sport, was still playing the sport just recreationally, but mm. I played it at a high level right through college. And he was making passes. As a goalie, you kind of, one of your, one of your things you got to do is you got to be aware of where the puck might be going next. 
and be ready for that. Mm-hmm. Retzke was making passes to places I didn't expect, and it worked. And it was like going like, okay, well, this guy's playing at a different level. And, of course, that's what he did his whole career. He was not, you know, physically, he was very normal young man. I mean, he was not very strong. He was quicker than people give him credit for. He wasn't slow, but he wasn't like a speed demon. And his shot was incredibly accurate. And he, he, he hit it well. He, he deceived people well with it, but it wasn't that hard. And yet he is far and away, far, far, far and away, the highest score in hockey history. Yeah. And all that despite physical limitations. So, I mean, it's. So, so my second thought is uh, talk about a plum assignment <laughs> for your first yeah. one coming in the door and you nailed the article. Yeah. So off you, you go, know you know, you didn't yeah. know it at the time. It's yeah. like, Oh, a 16 year old kid. What, what could this be? Yeah. And then, you know, we land on the spot that brought my fandom back for your work and it's tied to the 1980 U S Olympic hockey team. Uh, that famously won gold uh, at the Olympics in Lake Placid, New York. In and anybody who remembers it or sees the movie Miracle, which we'll get into here in a minute, um, knows that that was a really weird, awful time in America for a lot of people. There was a fuel shortage; people were waiting in line to get fuel. It was the height of the Cold War. You're living through it. You're one of us at that time. You know, I'm a little younger than you, but it was you know a tough time in this group of. And this was a time in the Olympics. And for me as an athlete, you know, I was called an amateur while I was playing pro football at the University of Washington. Right. And now that that wall's come down, people have to remember that this was a group of kids, some of them, you know, 21, 22, 23. And it was a group of it was not a group of Wayne Gretzky after seven years in the NHL who went on to beat the most dominant hockey team in the world for years and years and years, the, the Russian hockey team, which during the Cold War made it even bigger. And I really encourage people, dive into uh, EM's article on the Miracle on Ice that was written when they won the gold, which was March, I think the publishing data that was March 3rd, 1980. That's a really great article. But the one that you sort of brought up and SI honored with the 60th anniversary award is a, a reminder of what can be the 1980 U.S. hockey, uh, U.S. Olympic hockey team. This was a huge assignment. Here's what you say. The resulting story, a reminder of what we can be, took on a life of its own. People remembered it. They saved it. In many ways, it overshadowed everything else I would ever write. Why and how? That was, yeah, our year-end piece, you know, December 22nd. Yeah, it was the it was the year end uh, sportsman of the year, December twenty second of 1980. Yeah, and uh, see, so what happened was the you know they win the gold medal in February, and the country goes bananas, and they're all celebrated, and then they go to their next life. You know, they all yeah. they go to different teams. They, there's no like like uh, uh, you know sort of follow up. Herb Brooks goes to Davos and. Uh, Mike Ruzioni went to Hollywood and was <laughs> advising on the film <laughs> that they <laughs> did, uh, Miracle on Ice, the first film, TV film. And a bunch of them went to various hockey teams, some professional, some not. Some went back to college. But you, nobody, you imagine going back to college as a gold medal winner of that game? I know. I know. Uh, well, you went and talked to some of these guys. Please tell us. <laughs> yeah, because um, in about October, uh, I got called in. 
by my friend Mark Mulvoy, and who uh, said these guys are going to be our sportsmen of the year. And we were so I don't know, we were just blown away. We were surprised that it was they were going to get sportsmen of the year. It seems like such an obvious call now. But first of all, it was a team, and usually that's an individual honor. This is the first time a team ever got it. And second of all, hockey was, except for that week, you know, hockey was considered a minor sport compared to the big three of baseball, football, and basketball. So for them to be, you know, sports media, well, that was big. But I got a lot of time to go around, and I knew the team because I, I wasn't that much older than some of the players. You shared some stories. You were fully embedded. Didn't you sneak into the locker room because yeah. Herb Brooks yeah. wouldn't let you interview people, and he yeah. caught you well, let it you was, do it Well, it anyway? wasn't just Brooks. Brooks, Brooks said it was security. You know, you, you, you weren't allowed in. But, yeah. but I was, I kind of would pretend I wouldn't just, kind of, I would pretend to be a player who was like injured or whatever. And just <laughs> you, after how many years of hockey, you knew how to sit like the guy and grab some tape. Did, well, did you ever put an you know, act on and not get you, kicked out? Well, if you walked in with a certain air and hit your notebook and nobody objected, um, the guard would let you in, you know, and that would, that would not happen today. It wouldn't happen in 1988, but it would happen that year. I was often the, first and only journalist in the locker room with these guys after these games. And they, they knew me and they trusted me and they would talk to me. And so anyway, so when the sportsman of the year thing got assigned to me, I knew which of the players were the best interviews already. Mm, so I yeah, didn't yeah, have to, yeah, 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 and, yeah, yeah. and they yeah. literally were all over the world. And so I said, okay, I want to talk to Mark Johnson. I want to, and I, I made a list of about seven or eight of them. You know, we're the 20 players on the team. You can't, you know, I don't want to talk to all of them. And uh, and then Brooks, of course, or Brooks, the, the coach, and he's stuck in Davos. He didn't, and he was dying to talk about how he'd done it because that was what had never been explained because they were unlike any other hockey team at that time. They, they broke down so many stereotypes of what it was like to, you know, train to condition. He'd been coaching in, in college at the University of Minnesota with great success for years. And you don't, you know, so he had a way with these young men, but he was not close to them. And, and they didn't, you know, they, they weren't going to invite him, you know, home for the holidays. <laughs> you know, it's a, do you know if when he was coaching in college, was he close to his players? Did he have a more familiar father? Cause I've had coaches, you know, throughout yeah. my career, a couple that I still talk to all the time where I was at their house eating and I was very welcome yeah. around their family. Did, did he ever have that relationship? With I, I don't, I don't believe so. There was one of his mm. players was Phil Vercota. So he played for four years with him at the university of Minnesota and then played for the Olympic team with him. I think he's now a dentist, really good guy. One of the guys I wanted to talk to. And he said that in all that time, four years playing on a room that if you walk by him and you said, hi, he would say hi back but he would never initiate mm. any conversation having to do with your personal life, life mm. off the rank, anything like that. You know, it's so cool that, you know, you got under the hood with him quite a bit because where I rediscovered your work was in 2004. Uh, I was working in radio and we had Gavin O'Connor on uh, while he was promoting because he had directed a film called Miracle which was about the 1980 U.S. hockey team. And so, you know, in prep for that and in talking to him, I saw the film. And, you know, I would say for probably you, just like me and people who have 
been in around sports for a while. If we go into a theater and we pay, cause I paid, you know, 12 bucks or whatever. And, it, and it's a sports movie. It better be good and good quick. Cause we've been there. You've been in a hockey locker room. If it doesn't ring true. Yeah. And I was just blown away by the film. It's frankly, one of my favorite films of all time. Forget sports movies. It's I was really moved and touched by it. And the way I found you was I'd seen a picture of Herb Brooks at that point in my life. I had no reason to go watch an interview with him. So Kurt Russell could have been playing Bing, you know, Bing Crosby, as far as I was concerned. I had no idea if he was playing Herb Brooks the way Herb Brooks was. I saw the movie and I was sort of blown away. And, you know, Gavin was seemed like a really nice guy. It was a great interview. We really went into how he shot the hockey and that he cast real players because I was really impressed with the hockey action. And, you know, I just searched Kurt Russell miracle movie and it's on Disney Plus. People should really go check it out or they can rent it. And your article came up about your reaction to the film and Kurt Russell. And so I turned to you. Was Kurt Russell a decent Herb Brooks? And how was the movie? He was a great Herb Brooks. And uh, he absolutely nailed the accent, um, which isn't easy. That, that kind of Midwestern, flat Midwestern accent nailed that. No, he was great. I actually wrote him a fan letter afterwards. Never heard back <laughs> Because um, I was so impressed with it. Well, um, your article loved, was a fan letter. Well, it was it was a it was a terrific movie, and and uh, I was <laughs> at the time uh, an assistant coach on my youngest son's hockey team, which was a pretty good team. And we were playing. It is in Massachusetts. We were playing in the state championship at their division, and we took them to Miracle as a, uh, you know, motivation thing before, the, you know, one of the big games. Was that and the first time you'd seen it? Uh, I don't think so. I don't okay. think so. I think I must have vetted it first. In any event, none of these kids were even alive when it happened, right? I know. So afterward in the locker room, one of the kids gets up and goes, tonight's going to be our Miracle. You know, we went out, we won, we won the state championship um but but did you really win the state championship well it was yeah but it was division two it wasn't but it was a big upset don't don't undercut that's amazing it was the talk about full circle you followed that team and then they because surely you won because of the movie not because of the coaching right Right, no doubt no doubt that's amazing i think you know it's what we say as parents and coaches is that the reason we spend so much time and energy and effort on youth sports is that it really does teach us um, lessons that we can apply to life. And, um, uh, and, and, and as an athlete, Kurt Russell, I think understood her Brooks, even though it was from a different sport. And, uh, and, and I think he could relate to it better than a, an athlete who never, I mean, an actor who had never played a sport could. Maybe wrong, but I think that's that's what I think. So full circle, there you are in 1980, a hockey player getting great stuff because I'm sure the players respected you because you knew what you were talking about, right? So I'm sure the players enjoyed, you know, someone who knew their craft. You were there, 1980. Were you sitting in the press box for the now the rush of the game and uh, the game against Russia was the semifinal, then they beat Sweden. Uh, in the finals for the gold, but for the game well, against Finland, Russia. Finland. Oh, excuse Finland. me, Finland. Excuse me, Finland. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Um, so there you are, a hockey player from Chicago, and a, yeah. an American. You've been following this story. It builds, it builds, it builds. 
what was it like for you personally? What, what, did you fist pump? Did you cry? Did you feel? Oh, yeah, I definitely, I definitely fist, fist pumped. You know, I'd seen him lose to the Russians 10 to three in Madison Square Garden right before the Olympics. And I'd also covered the NHL when they lost to the Russians, same team. And the NHL All-Stars got beat in a three-game series. I think they called it the night. The, I don't know. It's like the hockey classic or some damn thing. But um, they lost the three-game series to the same Soviet team the year before, 1979. So, I, you know, in my mind, they were unbeatable. And I just didn't want us to be embarrassed. And then I'm in the, um, you know, Lake Placid where we were pretty sheltered from the outside interest that was developing in the country. And I was getting all these interview requests from radio stations in non-hockey areas, you know, like Albuquerque. And I mean, they're all over the country. And um, they would say, so what are our chances? I say, what are our chances? We don't, we have no chance. We're not going to win. We're, we're, you know, I think we have a good chance at silver and I don't think that you should get your listeners all revved up about how we're going to beat the Russians because we're not going to beat the Russians. So that's, that's how I felt about it mm. and how deep down inside the, the most of the players felt about it too. They didn't really believe it. They just wanted to hang tough, be close. And then, you know, it's sport. You never know. And, 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 and this is also a sport with a goaltender and a goaltender can make a huge difference in a sport. He can, you know, he can tip the balance. Wait, what was, what was the record of that team you wrote about that you were the goalie for? One in 22. Yeah, that, that's okay, true. Just... If Jim Craig had been a goalie for that, it might've flipped those numbers. But, uh, but anyway, um, so, so hockey, you get the, it, it, and particularly a one game series, it's a one game. It's not a series. And if, if the Russians play that same U.S. hockey team 10 times, I still believe they'd beat them nine times. But the one time was the one that counted. So that's what I felt about it. And so, yes, when, when they won, I was not cool as a cucumber in the press box. I, like everybody else in that, in the, that arena, including in the press box, was jumping up and down and, you know, fist pumping and all the rest of it. And, you know, and there were all these, you know, like flags. So that photograph of the cover, which you referred to, was taken by Heinz Klutmeyer, and it's got a big American flag waving. Well, people don't remember that now, but I interviewed like Dave Silk, who was one of the players, and his sister right after the game. And she said, I had never seen, she was a little older than I was, I think. So say she's in her late 20s. She said, I, I, there's only one time I've seen that many American flags being waved at once. And that was at a Vietnam, uh, Vietnam protest and we were burning them. <laughs> Quite a moment indeed. Thanks for coming on the show, Ed, and helping me and many others understand and appreciate that sports and a good sports story well told are about more than just what happens in the arena. Please take some time and read EM's work. Much of it is available online in the Sports Illustrated vault. And watch Miracle on Disney Plus and Miracle on Ice, the story of the 1980 U.S. hockey team from HBO. It is still hard for me to grasp how it all came together and worth revisiting. If you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen. And you can follow the show on social media, Twitter at Let's Huddle, Facebook, Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham, Instagram, Let's underscore Huddle underscore with underscore Ed. And if you want to come right to the source, the show's webpage, go to Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com. Scroll through their impressive lineup, then search up Let's Huddle to come to the show's page. Reach out, let us know what you think, any corrections, clarifications, guests, or topics you'd like to hear. 
Let's Huddle with Ed Cunningham is a production of True Stories Incorporated and is edited by Ryan Lindsay of Fushaw Media. The Believe team on the Let's Huddle beat, producers Alex Tosopoulos, Joe DeLeon, Josh Fisher, audio engineers Carter, Connor Haynes and Cam Rogers help out with the marketing, and my first contact with Team Believe, Bron Husenstein, the chief executive. Thanks, everyone, and thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly... Everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.